0: said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and
1: international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Gary Kent.
0: Recently, I visited the dead center of the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Beautiful place, Waverley Cemetery. Uh, that's if I can take you there. Let's go. Not in reality, but it is a, it is a magnificent place. This cemetery was, was uh, opened in 1877, and the first person was buried there that year, located on the cliffs of the eastern suburbs, looking out over the, the Pacific Ocean. It really is a beautiful place. Uh, not so good that I would like to spend too much time there, but it's a, it's a wonderful place to, to visit, situated right there on the, on the rocky cliffs overlooking the ocean. And as I was walking through, doing some research, visiting some of the, the grave sites here, I came across some interesting graffiti. One read, a room with a view. Another said, not a bad place to spend eternity. Some of Australia's most famous sons and daughters are buried here in the cemetery, not very far from here. For example, you'll find the tomb of Henry Lawson, famous for his poetry and short stories. He wrote stories and poems that that in a sense shaped our culture and, uh, and our identity as Australians, the bush undertaker, the drover's wife, the ironbark chip, the loaded dog, you 'll also find here the final resting place of Dorothea McKellar. You know she wrote those famous words, "My country," that poem, "I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of rugged mountain ranges of droughts." and flooded plains. You'll also find here the gravesite of Australia's first Prime Minister, Sir Edmund Barton. You also find, for those of you who are sports fans, the burial place of Victor Trumper. He was an Australian cricketer known as the most stylish and versatile batsman of the golden age of Australian cricket. Then I came across what I was looking for, an unheralded gravesite, a gravesite that, well, nobody visits today. It's the grave of Evelyn Marsden, an unknown Australian hero. Her story is one of the greatest love stories never told. And I'm going to share her story with you this afternoon. Her story starts at Stockyard Creek, the Stockyard Creek station in South Australia. Nothing much remains of it today. It's just a a pile of ruins. When she was about 15, her father became the station master at, at Hoylton, Now, to give you an idea where Hoylton is, it doesn't even show up on the map, but there you can see Adelaide. It's about 80 kilometers north of Adelaide, in here here somewhere. And as a young girl, her family used to come down to Murray Bridge, you know, where the where the great Murray River flows into the, into the ocean, the mouth, of the, the mouth of the river. And there she learned to row a boat. She learned to row a boat against the tides and the currents. And they were skills that one day would save her life. Evelyn had an adventurous spirit. Hoylton was too small for her. And so she decided that she was going to see the world. And so she caught a a liner, she trained as a nurse first, and then she set sail for England via Africa. And while she was on that voyage to England, she fell in love with the ship's doctor. His name was William James. William was working for the White Star Line that built the Titanic. In fact, built three great ships. And uh, so she decided that if she wanted to spend time with this man she hoped to marry, that she too had better join the company. And so she did. She joined the White Star Company, as a nurse and a stewardess in order to be with her physician fiancé. And so it was that both were to sail on the Titanic's maiden voyage. They were going to sail from Southampton across the Atlantic to New York on the greatest ship that had ever been built. But just before the ship left Southampton, William was transferred off the ship at the very last moment and Evelyn was separated from the man she loved. She was going to have to make that trip alone. Now the Titanic, for some reason we have a, we have a fascination with this great ship. It was 268 metres in length. To give you some idea, that's almost as tall as Sydney Tower. It took 11,000 men two years to build this great ship. Three million rivets held it together. It only had 20 lifeboats as it made that maiden voyage. It should have had 64, but it only had 20. Why? Because it was unsinkable. Why would you have lifeboats on a ship that couldn't sink? So 20 were there just for show. Besides, this was such a great ship and this was such an important voyage the maiden voyage of the the biggest ship ever, ever built. Uh, The wealthy, the, the who's who of the world were on that ship. And they didn't want lifeboats cluttering up the view. You've got to get your priorities right. It was the first ship to have a swimming pool. It became the longest moving object ever constructed. The Titanic left Southampton for New York on the 10th of April, 1912, amidst a great fanfare. You see, there was a, a competition between two great shipping lines, Cunard and the White Star Line. And the White Star Line had built this ship to break all records. It was the biggest ship. Not only was it the biggest ship but it was the fastest ship and it was going to make that journey from Southampton to New York in record time It struck an iceberg even though it had been warned that the seas that neared Newf- Newfoundland was littered with great chunks of ice bigger than the Titanic but remember it couldn't sink So why bother? And besides, we had to make the record or break the record. We had to keep powering ahead as fast as possible. And so it was that the greatest ship ever built struck an iceberg five days later on, late at night, April the 15th. The ship that couldn't sink. It took two hours and 40 minutes to disappear beneath the frigid waters of the Atlantic. And it dropped four kilometers to the ocean floor. There were 2,224 passengers, we think, on the Titanic. Nobody knows for sure. 1,512 of them died. Only 712 survived. There were five Australians aboard the Titanic on its maiden voyage. There was Arthur Gordon McRae, who attended Sydney Grammar School, not far from here. He completed an engineering degree at Sydney University, and he used his knowledge, his engineering skills to... Engage in mining activities in West Africa. Then he travelled across to Siberia, was involved in a copper mine there. And then after making a fortune, making a lot of money, he decided that he was going to travel to Canada to visit some friends. And so he decided to make the trip across the Atlantic on the greatest ship that was ever built. He never made it. They fished his frozen body out of the Atlantic. He was dressed in a blue suit and white sneakers. He's buried in Halifax in the cemetery across there. He died in the sinking. The second Australian, Donald Campbell, came from Melbourne He was a clerk on the the third class floor section of the ship. He was responsible for the the food, the, the provisions on the ship. He died at sea. His body was never recovered. The third Australian, Leonard White, born in Sydney, worked as a saloon steward, also died at sea. His body never found. And then there was Alfred Nichols. He came from Sydney. He worked as a boat swain, had a very important position. He was an officer in charge of the Titanic's deck crew. The last that was seen of him, he was running down to help some people keep the doors open so that some of the, the passengers from down in the, the bowels of the ship could make their way up. Remember, this was a ship that could never sink. And so when it hit the iceberg, nobody really cared. There was no panic. I mean, nothing to worry about. You're on the Titanic, aren't you? The ship that is unsinkable. In fact, that was the nickname that they gave the Titanic. Unsinkable. So the band played on. Everybody just, you know, people, some people who survived said they felt a slight shudder. But that's it. Nobody was concerned. And so when the water started gushing through, he ran downstairs to try to keep the doors open as the water came through. That was the last time he was ever seen. He died at sea. His body never recovered. The other Australian on board was our lady, our hero, Evelyn Marsden. She was a nurse and a stewardess in the first class Of the ship. She's the only Australian to survive the sinking of the Titanic. There were too many people and too few lifeboats, remember? And so Evelyn took upon herself the responsibility of trying to get people into the lifeboats, to get as many as possible to safety into the lifeboats so that they would survive the sinking of the unsinkable ship. She was one of the last to board lifeboat number 16. She wanted to make sure everybody else was on before she was. She was she, her concern was for the passengers on that boat. She wanted to get everybody else on. She forgot about her own security, her own safety, and her own well-being. And she was the last person to get on that lifeboat. And then somebody had to compel her to get on. And then remember she learned to row on the Murray River? Even though it was freezing cold, she rowed for two and a half hours. Rowed that boat that was loaded with passengers, survivors, until they met up with the rescue ship Carpathia. People said that when she arrived, her hands were raw when the boat picked her up from rowing through those cold, icy waters, that big boat with all those survivors. And so she was taken to America with the other survivors. And then from there, she returned to England. There she was reunited with her William. By the way, if he hadn't been taken off the Titanic, it's almost certain that he would have drowned. Virtually all the males in second class where he would have had his room, 92% of them, lost their life in the sinking of the Titanic. So if he wasn't taken off, it's almost certain that he would have died out there mid-ocean in the Atlantic. Well, they didn't waste any time after that. They were married in uh, July of 1912. It was as if they were destined to to spend their lives together. After being married, they returned to Australia and eventually settled not far from here. They settled in Bondi. Evelyn passed away on the 30th of August, 1938. William couldn't live without her and he died of a broken heart seven days later. And there they both rest, overlooking the ocean. The Titanic. Just doing this research for our our program, it dawned on me that the Titanic has much to say to our generation. When you look at what happened to the unsinkable ship, And how it was that so many people lost their lives. Why? You see, they were insensitive to the danger that was around them. They were on the unsinkable ship. And so even after they struck the iceberg and the ship began to take on water, no one really worried. They weren't concerned. Why? Because they had a misplaced confidence in the works of man. We went in recently and did some filming. Some of you may have been into the National Maritime Museum. They had a Titanic display. Now, it's 100 years since the, the Titanic sank, and they have a, I don't know if it's still open, but they had a display in there on the Titanic. And I was interested to read one of the plaques there. I've copied it out to share it with you. The Titanic was to be the greatest ship afloat, shining proof of the industrial power of the modern world, a potent combination of American business acumen and British industrial technology. This vision of how wonderful man is was shattered when the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank on its maiden voyage on the 15th of April 1912 with the loss of over 1,500 men, women, and children. And as I read through the details, and they had a, a, I guess you call it an honor board with all the names of those who'd lost their lives. And as I went through, just wandering through, passing the, the names of hundreds and hundreds of people, who were travelling on their, their, their voyage of a lifetime, but had never made their destination. And as I read it, I, I was going through those names, I, I couldn't help thinking about how similar to Noah's generation and ours. Because you remember that Jesus said that Noah's generation and our generation will be similar. Insensitive to danger. Ignore the warnings and the signs. And faith in the works of men. Do you remember what Jesus said? As it was in the days of Noah... So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And they knew nothing about what would happen. What do you mean they would know nothing? What was Noah doing? For how long? How could they know nothing? They must have just ignored the warnings... And the signs, isn't that right? I mean, just imagine some of the things that happened there. I mean, I I just recount the story of Noah, and there he is preaching and, and telling the people that, hey, it's going to rain. Rain? We've never seen rain. What do you mean? And the animals are going to come and they're going to walk into the ark on their own. What do you mean? That's never happened before. The warnings were there. The signs were there. They saw the animals enter the ark unattended by human hand. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And then how's that last sentence? That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You know, friends, if you want to sink your personal ship, then the Titanic is a how-to-do-it manual. A how-to-do-it manual. Don't provide enough lifeboats. Friends, the Lord gives us the security and the safety of his word, of his church. But don't worry too much about that. Go too fast. Break the record. Get from Southampton to New York quicker than anyone's ever done it before. How fast are you going, friend? We get so caught up in what we think is our big world that we forget what's really going on. You know, friends, the devil wants us to become so busy, even doing good things, that we forget our priorities. The most important thing that you and I can engage in, that we can do, is to prepare to meet Jesus. He's coming soon. But you know, we've heard that for a long time, haven't we? Jesus is coming soon. I mean, how many more years can you say that for? How long did Noah preach for? But we're going too fast. We've got our work to worry about. We've got our responsibilities to take care of. We've got to make a living. We've got to have a life. Too fast. Too fast. Take chances with the icebergs. They knew they were there. Yeah, but we're unsinkable. I can live forever. Live forever? You can but not if you pile into the icebergs. Friends, the Lord has warned us about the icebergs. We know they are out there. Let's not be complacent. Let's recognise sin for what it is. Let's not try to soft talk it, to explain it away. It's easy, isn't it? You know, the first time you do that which you know is not right, your conscience hits you like a big iceberg. Isn't that right? But the more times you run into it, eventually it becomes just a little shudder. Don't notice it. Don't worry about it. Just plow on. Plow through them. Plow through the ice field. Ignore the warning. Friends, take your Bible and read the words of Jesus. Read Matthew chapter 24. You know, there Jesus outlined things that are going to happen to tell us how close we are getting to his coming. The signs are being fulfilled. The warnings are being given. But we are we're in a hurry. We've got to get to New York. We've got to go fast. We don't have time to worry about those things. Icebergs. We're on an unsinkable ship. Don't believe the danger is real. You know, I wonder how differently we would live this coming week if we knew for certain that Jesus was coming next Sunday afternoon. How would you spend the next seven days? I sometimes wonder we are Adventists, and we are Adventists because we believe strongly in the soon. Coming of Jesus, the Advent. That's why we're called Adventists. We believe in the Advent of Jesus, the Second Advent, the Second Coming of Jesus. But you know, sometimes I want and I ask myself this question: Do I really believe that? Do I live as if Jesus is coming soon? Don't get into the. Oh, sorry. Consider your ship unsinkable. Yeah. Don't get into the lifeboat when you have a chance. See, friends, each of us has questions to answer. Those questions are, how much do we want to be rescued? Do we really want Jesus to come? Man, that's going to interfere with my plans. I've got got big plans. Ah, Yeah, Jesus can come sometime down the track. Not now, I'm busy. I don't have time to get ready just now. I've got important things to do. I've got big engagements coming up. Do we really want Jesus to come? Do we really want to be rescued? Maybe we've got it too good here in Australia. Maybe. We don't need God. It's interesting, you know, the more wealthy a country is, the less religious the people are. Why? Because we've got everything we need, don't we? What's this business about wanting to go to heaven? Some of us think we have it right here. We don't need heaven somewhere else. Do we want to be rescued? Do we really want Jesus to come? Friends, it's sometimes only when we are stricken down, when we lose what we have, whether it be our finances, our our status, whether it be our health, then all of a sudden we're on our knees, aren't we? Oh Lord, don't forget me. Now all of a sudden we want Jesus to come then. When we lose a loved one. When the going gets tough. So, how much do we want to be rescued? Or are we still attached to the luxuries of the ship? The Bible says, For soon, very soon, he who is to come will come. He will not Delay. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. And I say again, the most important thing for you and for me, our top priority is to make sure that we are ready to meet him. And it is my prayer this afternoon that every one of us here will be found ready and waiting to meet Jesus when he comes. Friends, Let go. The things of this world, they're going to go up in smoke. There's nothing that this world has... Let me repeat that. There is nothing on this planet that is worth sacrificing heaven for. May God bless you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father... We look forward to the coming of Jesus. Father, may we realise, recognise and always remember that heaven is our home, not this earth. May we prepare to live with you in heaven. And Father, may each one of us here be found ready to meet Jesus when he comes. And Lord, we say with the Apostle John, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless your friends.
2: This message was made available by Fountain in the City. For more
0: resources like this, visit Fountain in the City dot com dot au
3: This world is not my home I'm just a passing through My treasures are laid up Somewhere beyond the blue The angels beckon me They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know He'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, You know I have no friend like You. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me From heaven's open door And I can't feel at home In this world anymore From Elliot Bowman's album A cappella hymns, that was This World Is Not My Home Coming up next Are You Ready For Jesus To Come? By Jessica McNeil
2: Revelation 22 12-14 reads And behold I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city.
1: This is Satisfied
3: by Fountain View Academy.
1: friends, so lovely to be with you today. And my name is William Macklin and I would like to make a few observations about summer. Warming winds wafted through fruiting trees quite early this morning. It will be hot today, I thought. A little rain has fallen recently, but not sufficient to counter the relentless sun sucking up every drop of moisture as the water table sinks lower and lower. Light summer wear has been worn for weeks and it is still only mid-December. So while there are some negatives in this season of the year, there are many pluses. Vegetables planted in the home garden start to mature. Trips to the beach are nearly a happy weekly interlude, if not too far away. And long daylight hours entice one to pack a lot more into a 24-hour day. It is a great concern here in this land of Australia in some states more so than others, that raging fires break out and cause such devastation when tinder-dry undergrowth is ignited by dry electrical storms, or worse still, are purposely lit. Vast areas of bush, farmland and property are destroyed, and wildlife, livestock and human lives are snuffed out in the roaring flames. How grateful we are for the firefighters who put their own lives in danger to bring the fires under control, which sometimes affects thousands of their countrymen. Fortunately, most summers are not like that, and instead of fighting fires, many people are out and about, enjoying warm weather sports and family activities. What is nicer than for a family to pack up their picnic gear and tasty treats and then drive to the park or the seaside to enjoy fun and frolic for many hours. Parents marvel at how much energy their children have as they run here and there in random patterns, chasing a ball or each other. Summer is when salad is a common food selection and cool drinks are consumed by the liter. Hiking into the hills is a favorite thing to do too, for as the altitude increases, the temperature decreases and people get the exercise we all need. So if it is not hiking, then fishing and boating are great favourites with many people. One has only to see the thousands of boats and yachts of all sizes at seaside towns and resorts to realise that enjoying a spin on the water is so popular in summer, and in spring and autumn too. There is more to summer of course than what the warm sunny weather entices us to do. During these months, the Sun is just that much closer to our hemisphere than during winter. The tilt of the Earth, known by astronomers as the obliquity of the ecliptic, combines to link two opposite seasons, and the other two are halfway in between. So there is more sun in summer and less sun in winter, and each has its pluses and minuses. People of a pessimistic nature tend to look at the world through negative glasses, whereas optimistic, cheerful people are glad to enjoy the positive things that each day and each season brings. It is not only humans in their busyness who bring in the harvest to ensure survival during the winter, but birds and animals are also busy eating, gathering and storing in summer to ensure their survival in winter. Hibernating bears nearly double their weight while they can, so they can survive sleeping the whole winter through. Squirrels are great acorn gatherers, hiding these in their storehouses to be dug up later. Now, how can they remember where their food is stored? Animals in Australia are not so affected as their far northern hemisphere cousins are, as here the weather is not so extreme. The Bible too speaks of the seasons of the year in Matthew 24, Verses 32 and 33, it says, Listen to what I say about fig trees. When the branches show signs of new growth and the tree is covered with leaves, you know that summer is almost here. So you will know that when you see the signs I have just told you, you will know the coming of the Son of Man is very near. So as one season moves to the next in a seemingly unending cycle through the years, there is something for everyone to enjoy no matter which season is with us. It can be argued that summer is more appreciated by people in Australia, given that the warmer weather is so ideal for enjoying sports and other activities in the great outdoors. Winter too offers time in long evenings to write, read and study, and to follow one's hobbies that vary from person to person. All in all, the likes and dislikes that people have for the four seasons of the year tend to balance out, we could say, so that there is a variety and opportunity for us all to enjoy life instead of merely existing. our series, You're Not Alone, in which Alan Sonter, for many years a missionary educator in the islands of the South Pacific, tells stories that help us to know that God is always watching over us, wherever we are.
2: This episode is entitled, When God Changed the Captain's Orders. The captain was sympathetic. I'd like to help you, he said, but my orders are to sail to Nuku'alofa via Tofu'a. I stood at the end of the old wooden jetty at Pangai, main town on the island of Lifuka in the kingdom of Tonga. Already the sun was high in the sky and the waters of the lagoon sparkled as a light breeze wafted in from the sea. Somehow the beauty of the white sands, waving palms and blue sea passed unnoticed as I pondered my problem. I was visiting the main islands of Tonga, administering an entrance examination to children wishing to enter Beulah College, the main Seventh-day Adventist secondary school in the Kingdom. Most of the candidates were students completing their final grade in government primary schools, and the trip had been, so far, very successful. In company with Stephen, a Tongan lad who assisted with examination supervision, I had travelled north to Vavao and now to Pangai, about a hundred miles from home, on the return journey. We had two more islands still to visit. The only means of transport being the Fange Lufuka, a small government-owned vessel now lying at the jetty. I wandered over to the jetty where the captain of the Fange Lufuka was supervising the loading of supplies. We exchanged greetings and then I asked the captain where he was scheduled to go that day. My orders are to sail to Tofua and from there to Nuku'alofa, was his matter of fact reply. The islands we were to visit lay roughly on the direct route from Pangai to Nuku'alofa, while Tofua lay way to the west. The ship would be going nowhere near the islands we wished to visit. Wouldn't it be possible just to call in for a little while at half-ever? I asked, naming the closer of the two islands I needed to visit. I'm afraid not, was the reply. You see, it would take us a long way off our course, and we should be at Tofur by tomorrow morning. The little ship moved gently and the wavelets lapped around the barnacle-encrusted posts of the jetty. Well... I suppose there's nothing for us to do but to return to Nukalofa with you, I said, as there's no other ship likely to be around for several days. The kindly captain nodded. You know, he commented, I was a student of Beulah College years ago. I'll do anything I can to help you, but I have to follow the orders that come from the government office. I turned and sat down on my suitcase. The old jetty creaked as the lines from the ship tugged at the posts. The captain went aboard his ship and busied himself with preparations for sailing. I bowed my head and prayed, Lord, this is your work. If you want us to conduct the examination at Parfeva and Nomuka, please open the way. With this prayer still in my heart, I stood up and walked slowly along the jetty, not really knowing what to do. Just then, a messenger from the government office came hurrying toward the ship. Picking his way quickly over the gaps left by the missing planks on the jetty, he was soon talking to the captain. Several other passengers and sailors soon gathered around, and it looked as though something was afoot. So I made my way back to the ship. After the messenger had left, I went up to the captain. What's the news? I asked. Excitedly, he answered, a message has just been received that a whirlwind has struck the island of Mango. It's destroyed most of the village, including the school buildings and some of the village gardens. A couple of people have been injured. I have orders to sail to Mungo with an agriculture officer, an education officer and a health officer to assess the damage. We are then to sail to Namuka to drop the three officers so they can find passage back here, while we continue on to Nuku'alofa. You're very lucky, because now you will be able to go to Nomuka. You see, I can stay long enough at Nomuka for you to conduct the exam. It's certainly too bad about the whirlwind, I replied, but I appreciate your willingness to make it possible for us to conduct the exam at Nomuka. Another thought crossed my mind. Say, I continued, you couldn't just drop in at half ever on the way to Mangu, could you? It's almost on the direct route. The captain rubbed his chin and thought for a moment, while I thanked the Lord for beginning to answer my prayer. It all depends, he said, on what time we get away from here. He glanced at his watch. It's now almost 12 o'clock. We're about ready to leave. There's just a drum of fuel to be run into the tanks and we'll be on our way. I'm afraid we won't be able to stop at half ever because if we did, we wouldn't be able to reach Mungo before dark. As we can't get in through the reef at Mungo after dark, we can't afford to stop on the way. Noting my disappointment, he added, if we should happen to be delayed here until after two o'clock, we won't be able to get into Mungo tonight, so we would perhaps go to Hafeva, spend the night there, and leave about three in the morning to reach Mungo at first light but there's no reason for a delay, so I'm afraid you'll just have to miss half ever Again I turned away and this time asked the Lord that if it was his will, we would be able to conduct the exam at half ever Within a few minutes, two sailors appeared, rolling a 44 gallon drum along the jetty. They reached a section where only two planks lay across the several foot wide space in the wooden decking of the old structure. So I went over to help them maneuver the drum across this difficult spot. We soon had the drum safely beside the ship. The plug was removed and the contents of the drum began to pour into the ship's fuel tanks. The sailors and I were standing by watching. When the man closest to the drum exclaimed, hey, there's something funny about this fuel, He leaned over and sniffed the opening of the drum. It smells more like kerosene than diesel to me. Quickly, all eyes turned to the drum, where plainly lettered across the top were the words, Mobile Laurel Lighting Kerosene. Immediately, the siphon tube was removed from the drum, but 30 gallons or more of kerosene were already mixed with the diesel in the tanks. And if the engine were run on that mixture, the ship wouldn't go very far. The captain was soon on the spot and ordered the tanks to be emptied. It was a long and laborious task since all the pumping had to be done by hand. By the time the tanks had been emptied and refilled with clean fuel, it was half past two in the afternoon. Everyone else was nonplussed by how the kerosene could have been delivered from the depot and filled into the tanks without anyone noticing the words so clearly lettered on the drum. But I was sure that the Lord had had a hand in the matter. The captain came over to me. You're lucky again, he said. Now we will have to spend the night at half ever. A few minutes later, as the little ship pulled away from the jetty, I thanked the Lord again and marvelled at the means he had used to change the captain's sailing orders. He was there to help when I needed him. Perhaps you might be saying to yourself, those happenings, the whirlwind and the mistake about the fuel, were simply a coincidence. I've seen things work out in answer to prayer too often to accept that those things were just a coincidence. God was there, and although I don't believe that the whirlwind was his doing, He used it as a means of solving my problem. And friend, whoever you might be, God loves you as much as he loves me. You're not alone any more than I was away out there in that small island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You've been listening to our series, You're Not Alone.
1: Stories told by Alan Sonta that help us to know that God is always watching over us, wherever we are. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3avianaustralia.org.au or give us a call within Australia on 02 4973 3456. May God bless you and remember, you are not alone.